0: Uh, this question was is very important And people should really memorize this answer Because this question comes uh, All the time to people And this question is about Aisha's age So the premise of the question Or the basis behind the question Is that we recognize and admit since in Sahih Bukhari That Aisha radiallahu anha was married to the prophet, peace be upon him, at a very, very young age, right? So the contractual marriage at age six, and then consummation at the various uh, opinions, 12 or nine, right? So, I mean, that's shocking for everyone who's not used to that, right? So now the question comes up uh, to all people, right? How could there be a man who's 52 and a woman who's that young, A, a girl, okay? So the first, we're gonna take a couple looks at this. The first look, we're gonna look at um, how are people, what are the attitudes that people have when they ask this question? What are the attitudes, okay? The first attitude is that if it's simply, you're just inquiring, well then, it's just that's their culture, was, it was acceptable at the time, all right? In their time, it's acceptable. If the attitude is that, um, you know, this is, is it healthy is it healthy well the answer to that is that firstly is it physically healthy or emotionally healthy is it physically healthy for a woman a girl to be married at that age right Uh, well people people's bodies are changing all the time and we know that today for example girls are actually maturing hitting, hitting puberty a lot earlier than even 20 years ago right So physical bodies are changing all the time. Now if the question is, well, emotionally. Is she emotionally ready? Okay. We say to this, like, yeah, emotional preparedness in a civilization which doesn't have organized education, K-12 through 12 plus college plus grad school, right? Everything is speeded up. You, you'll be a man by the age of 12 and 15, 13. That's why you have Osama bin Zaid. He's a general of an army right, at age 17, or Imam Malik, he's the Mufti of Medina at age 17, right? People matured mentally a lot faster. Why? Because there was a lot less going on. There was a lot less. There were, they didn't have to learn about the IRS. They didn't have to sign property rental agreements. They didn't have to get car insurance. They didn't have to apply for jobs. They didn't have to go to grad school, take SATs, take GREs. They didn't have to do any of that stuff, okay? Okay. So their lives, there was a lot, it were more rudimentary, okay? And it was very quick to basically get everything there needed, you needed to get. And what's your, what are you going to do from age 12 to 17 in the desert? There's nothing else to learn. There's nothing else to do. People, All people got married at a young age. Check this out. Uh, one of the Ummahat al-Mu'mineen, her name is Umm Salama, Um Salama, when the Prophet came to propose to her, okay, he was 29 years old. She was 29 years old. And she said about herself, O Messenger of Allah, I'm an older woman. Right? She was 29. And she considered herself an older woman. So what does that mean? That means like by, by her time, 13, 14, and 15 was an age that the average woman was getting married. For those who are questioning if it's unhealthy, there's another element to this. And that is that you think that you care more about Aisha's emotional and physical health than her parents, okay? And this links into the epistemological element, epistemology, like where do we get certain knowledge? Those, if you're saying that Aisha married a young age, you are at that point accepting the narration as true, that she did get married at that age. Where are you getting that information from? You're only getting it from Bukhari and and, and the Muslim sources. If you're accepting it, then you also have to accept everything else that those sources give us. You can't selectively pick and choose what you accept and what you don't accept, right? So if you accept that, you also have to accept that her parents were there, right? Abu Bakr and her mother, they were there from the beginning to the end, right? They were there way after her marriage, they were there the whole time. So you're actually coming in here with some concern but your concern is brimming with arrogance and assumptions and otherization and barbarization of the other. You think you're gonna be more concerned with her than Abu Bakr and Umr Uman, they were there and they approved of it and they prepared her and they celebrated it, right? Now, the other aspect of it is that you're, you're sort of otherizing and barbarizing Abu Bakr and Umr by claiming that they too yeah, and they too were harsh and mean to their daughter. As if what, they didn't have human concerns. Even if you're the enemy of Islam, Abu Bakr and Umar they're not going to care for their daughter. They're not going to yeah, make sure she's happy and she's safe and she's healthy. Right? So from an epistemological standpoint, we're going to come to the fact that their parents were there. If you're still clamoring about it, then we tell you, what do you think they are? You th- are they barbarians? They didn't care for their daughter, Alright, right? So that's another element. Now, the third uh, aspect are people who are telling you it's morally wrong, like that was morally wrong. And it's really curious for anyone in our our day and age, in our society, to tell us that anything is morally wrong. Because this is the father, This, this country is like the father and mother of moral relativism, right? Morality is evolving. I had a debate with a guy on Twitter the other day, okay? He said, I said, well, what's your source of morality? He says, morality, does it exist? He said, it exists, but it evolves. As we evolved, morality is evolving, all right? So if that was the case, all right? If that was the case, then if, does it only evolve here? Why don't you expand your intellect, right? And realize that it's subjective over there too. And it's morally acceptable to them too, all right? So limit your own criticism and tell yourself, Right, it's morally wrong to me. Don't apply it to them. Right. Se- secondly, we're in a society that's really just uh, um, all about the evolution of marriage itself. So, who are you to criticize anyone else's marriage? Right. If you're, if we're, if we're in the West and li- liberals are telling us that marriage is constantly evolving, and now incest is a discussion now, even the the famous uh, physicist, astrophysicist. Krauts, I think his name is Krauts. Krauts or Krauts. I mean, he's a big proponent that we have to revisit the incest issue, right? We have to revisit it. Why is it morally wrong if two consenting adults are, are, are supporting it? And why should the government get involved? Let them choose, right? So that, this type of uh, mentality, are you going to now go and... and, and you're all about shock. America's, uh, America's all about shock. We want to, we're shocking, constantly shocking the world with our new uh, uh, developments in marriage and morality and sexuality, and then you're going to turn around and be shocked, right? You're shocking the world. Why should you be shocked by anything, right? So that's the other thing. uh, If it's going to be, if it's going to come, if the criticism is going to come on moral grounds, then you yourself are not standing on any ground, all right? because you yourself are constantly changing the definitions of marriage uh, and morality. A lot of this is part of cultural imperialism. Right? It's really cultural and intellectual and moral imperialism. Namely, it's the white man with no um, dissing to the general uh, race or of, of people being Caucasian, but generally in our culture, it's the white man going over to the East and saving the Easterners from themselves. I mean, this is, you're talking about Dances with Wolves. The white man, he's the one who's going to save. Like, all those Indians couldn't save themselves. But the lowest of us can come and save you. Dances with Wolves, which is about a a, a white man who saves the Native Americans or tries to save them. The Last Samurai, okay? The samurai cannot do anything, but this drunk white guy, okay? Because in the beginning of the movie, he's drunk okay he's a drunk and a failed soldier he comes and he's inspired and he can save them so again the lowest of us can save the best of you right then you got avatar forget uh a civilization he saves a planet okay another soldier goes to save a planet okay and he's the good guy there so you're constantly getting this the the white man savior complex and now you have it applied into feminism White women going over to the East and saving these Eastern heathens from themselves, right? And from the men of their society, right? This is cultural imperialism. Layla Abu Lughaud and and Beth Barron, this is what they made their careers on, right? Refuting this and realizing you are taking your moral notions, forcing it on others and telling them what to feel bad about and what to feel good about and what's freedom. And as uh, Toynbee said, the great quote, he said conquest, physical conquest, right, is not the greatest power, but the power to define, right? The power to define is the greatest conquest. I'll define for you what freedom means. You want to be free? I'll tell you what freedom means. Right? Uh, as now the West is doing. Okay, the West is doing now. What does Islam mean? We will tell you what Islam means. And we promote certain sheikhs up, right? Promote Ayan Hursi Ali up, right, like this woman. No education in Islam. She's on all the talk shows. She's talking to the press club. She's on Jon Stewart. She's on all the shows. Uh, She's got books published by the best of the Western publications, right? So this is the thing, the power to define, okay? And this is what colonizers, what the West and the British in particular figured out before anyone else. Before that, a tribe used to go, we're conquering you people, right? We're we're forcing you. The Mongols come. We'll just conquer you. Okay? But no. The British, and maybe the French as well, right? They got it really well. And they said, don't just conquer them. All right? Get into their minds and tell them what's right and what's wrong. How to understand liberty, freedom. How to understand their own selves. All right? And this is not the conquest of a people. This is a conquest of their epistemology. In other words, where they get their truth from. Feminists really have to be pushed back, right? They have to be pushed back and telling Muslim women how to feel about themselves. And this, not only is this uh, in academic circles, this is deeper, this is in military circles. In the military, this type of thing is taught to the soldiers and to the people at large. They're shown videos, they're educated, that this is the founder of their religion 52, married 9, right? 52 years old, married a 9-year-old. That's the founder. Imagine all their men. Now when the soldier looks upon a woman, I need to save this girl, right? From her dad, from her husband. And he looks at a man, I need to eliminate this barbarian so I can free these poor girls, right? The epistemology of it. If you're accepting, since when do you accept Sahih Bukhari? Next time a liberal comes and says, oh, even Muslims, liberal, progressive... Progressive Muslims. Prophet married a girl at age nine. I said, wait, wait, you accept Sahih Bukhari? Since when? Right? They don't accept Hadith. Right? Most of you don't accept Hadith. Why are you accepting this? Now now you're praising us because you're telling us, yeah, Bukhari was an accurate transmitter. That's great. You can't selectively pick. So that's the epistemological element of the question. Okay? Now let's look at within the deen. Within the Sirah. There's... You can talk about this issue from within the seerah. Now that they've proven and displayed to us that they are accepting our sources, let's bring you another source. We know when in the seerah Muslims raised their eyebrows to a marriage. Because when the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam married Zaynab bin Jahsh, okay, she was the ex-wife of the Prophet's foster son Zayd bin Haritha. And in their culture you're talk about cultural relativism right in their culture you cannot marry the ex-wife of your of your of your adopted or foster son you just can't do it it's as if marrying the ex-wife of your real son right but Allah came to tell the Prophet they have to know that foster children are not equal to real children so how do we do that marry them and he had him marry Zainab bint Jash okay And marry Zainab bin Tajahsh. When he did this, the Prophet himself hesitated. The Prophet himself, because he knows it's going to be a scandal. And the beauty of it is this, from our standpoint, it's not a scandal with the Kuffar. It's a scandal amongst the Muslims. These are believers who accept him as a Prophet. But when people do things that the morals are norms, not morals, the norms, it contradicts norms, we hesitate even if we believe it's a Prophet. I mean we have several examples. At the Hajj, at the Umrah, at Hudaybiyah. when they actually were going to make Umrah, and when you make Umrah, you shave your head. Well, they didn't make Umrah. If you remember, the Quraysh stopped them, okay? So what are you supposed to do? You didn't make Umrah, you should go back. No, Allah said, have everyone shave their head and slaughter as if you did Umrah. Why? Because in the sight of Allah, you did. You get the reward of it. So the Prophet went out and said, shave your heads. But, the, but they didn't make Umrah. They didn't do the Umrah. So, what did he say? What did they do? They didn't do it. They just looked at each other perplexed. Why? It contradicted the norms. They didn't question his authority. They just couldn't do it. They couldn't bring themselves to do it. Until finally, Soda, bin Zama said, go and you shave your head, then they'll just emulate you. And that, that's what happened. So what does that show us? It shows us when they had an issue with a norm being broken, they spoke about it. They weren't shy about it. Okay, they did speak about it. So that's one another element. In other words, that if they had a problem with Aisha, we would have known. Because they had a problem with Zainab, and we would have known. Furthermore, Aisha occurred in Mecca amongst the kuffar, who are looking for an excuse. Zainab happened amongst the believers in Medina. Okay. So, next thing the fiqh of the matter. The fiqh. In Sharia, in our law, if the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi is behaving or taking an action based on revelation like this is religion by law this is the law then it's law for us like what like Yani the prophet allah always spoke about how good the miswak is brushing your teeth in general and using the miswak in specific so that's their custom but it becomes our sunnah it's part of our religion to actually use that specific stick right but the matter of marrying Aisha at her age was not a matter of law. That was acceptable in their urf, their custom. Therefore, the fuqaha tell us that you are allowed and it is valid for a khalifa or a sultan okay, to set age limits for marriage based upon urf. And we have this in the books and for over 200, 300 years. Okay, for three, 400 years into the Ottoman times, okay, there were actually laws set on age limits for marriage. And the Fuqaha did this. Okay? The Fuqaha did this. Okay? So the Fuqaha, they established that no one can marry under the age of 15. In the Ottoman times, we have records of this. Why? Because it's based on urf. Alright? So just because it happened once doesn't necessarily mean that this is actually a sunnah to go around looking for young girls. There's urf involved and there's discussion. So that's another aspect. Last aspect is the wisdom behind. This is really internally for the Muslims. The wisdom of Aisha Firstly, the, the Prophet didn't choose say Aisha. Aisha was brought to him by the Prophet. We believe that Prophet Sallallahu said, woke up. He had a dream that Jibril alaihissalam placed a silk bundle in his lap. Okay, when he lifted his, he said, "What is this?" He said, "This is your wife." He lifted it and it was Aisha radiallahu taala anha. Okay, then a couple period of time later, he actually be he came married to Aisha, he married Aisha. So it was on divine order that the Prophet married Aisha. And marriages have functions. Not all the marriages were just for the Prophet, peace be upon him, okay? For his self. There were tribal alliances that the Prophet made. Like he married Ramla bint Abi Sufyan, the wife of his enemy, right? Abu Sufyan, or the daughter of his enemy. To strengthen a bond, to create a bond, to push away the enmity, the animosity. He married Aisha because she is going to be the teacher of the ummah. And the Prophet said, take half of your deen from this little red hair.